Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. What's up, y'all? It's Jasmine. And what's up, y'all? It's Dave VR. And you are now tuning into Stories of the Streets. Um, as always, Stories of the Streets is sponsored by Change Waco, the new black collective, Black Scent, and of course, Rogue Media. And Today we have Miss Jaja. You want to introduce yourself? Yeah. So my name is Jaja Chen. I am a local social worker and Boba Tea co owner of Cha Community, formerly called Waco Cha. I've been in the Waco area for over 10 years now. Originally began in Waco, studying as a student at, at Baylor University and continued on in grad school for the Masters of Social Work. Ooh. That's cool. Um, where did you, you said you've been in Waco for 10 years? Yeah, so I came back in 2011. Okay, okay. Where, are you from here originally or are you from somewhere else? Yeah, so my hometown is Norman, Oklahoma. Oh. And so that's where I was born and raised up until age 13. And so at 13, my family, our whole family moved overseas to China. And so I spent both middle school and high school between China and Taiwan. So my family oh. is all extended family along with my parents are now in Taiwan. So they've been there their whole lives. They actually came to America to study in OU, the University of Oklahoma, and that's where you know I was from originally. Um, and that's part of what led them to be in Waco, or not Waco. Oh my gosh, I have like something in my eye. Sorry, guys. <laughs> You're fine. Oh my. It's like my contact lens. <gasps> I hate that. I wear contacts too. No, it's like stuck. Uh, okay, sorry, y'all. You're fine. And be able to cut it and chop it and stuff. Okay. Fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But basically, um, they went and studied in Norman, Oklahoma. And then that's what led us to originally be born there and raised there and then eventually moved back overseas for work purposes. So, was it like a culture shock when you came back? Um, I think so. I think the <laughs> hardest part was the fact that. Um, you know, most of my experiences um, in Norman was being the only Asian American, right, in school. And then being in China was the first time I was able to be, you know, in a majority culture kind of context in the sense of really getting in touch with my ethnic roots, my background, even being able to celebrate things like Lunar New Year, which is actually coming up, yeah. you know, with my extended family, which was not an experience I ever had um, in Oklahoma, right, where most of the experiences was just, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, just the U.S.-related holidays. Right. So being in China and Taiwan, I always tell folks it was where I really found my roots and where I started to realize, wow, okay, this is what it means to be Taiwanese-American 
And then transitioning to Waco was a huge culture shock because once again, it was like kind of thrown back into a context and a culture here in Waco where once again, you know, I'm one of a few Asians in most, you know, locations, environments, and just really um, now trying to grapple with what it means to be Asian American as an adult, which was very different than when I was a kid. Right. And so... So I definitely would say the first couple of years transitioning back to America, um, there was just a lot of confusion, right, with, you know, which identity do I want to relate more to? And so honestly, I tell folks I kind of distanced myself from Asian American identity and just mostly spent time with uh, international students or other immigrants because I've resonated a lot more with their experience. Um, But, you know, eventually post-school, um, into young adulthood really got to a more kind of confident place within myself, in my identity, um, racially and ethnically. How did you end up in Baylor? Um, so part of it was friends I knew had gone to Baylor. Another part was they just gave a lot of scholarships. And so it really did come down to the school that would give the most scholarships. Right. Um, and it was just funny because Baylor actually gave more scholarships than my parents' alma mater, which is OU. And so <laughs> I ended up coming here as a result of being able to get a lot of scholarships. Yeah. Always. That's always the case for a lot of minority, like, you know, like school with the most money that's giving us the most money that we can go to with the least debt. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, my parents weren't able to financially help contribute. And so then... Um, it really did come down to that. Yeah, yeah, me too. Still got student loans, but I mean, it was always like, who's gonna give me? What school is gonna give me the most money? And like, how how's the the minority uh, representation? Mm-hmm. Like, what do all of these things look like for me? And I went to North Texas, so we had a lot of international students as well. Yeah, yeah. And I was just, I was culture shocked because I was just like. Oh, it's diversity here. It, like, you know, versus coming from Waco where it's kind of white and black. And so I was like, and I was only like two hours away from home. And I, so I can only imagine how you feel. I'm just like, okay, um, this is different. <laughs> and this is new. But I learned a lot about a lot of different people. Um, I think I met a girl from the Philippines. Like, it was really just crazy because getting into different friend groups and just experiencing different things. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, we were eating Asian dishes, and I was like, I don't know what this is, but it tastes good to me. (laughs) (laughs) You know? So just those different experiences, like you said, like finding who you resonated more with, even if you didn't exactly identify with that, you know, that particular group of people, you still had some similarities or something in finding yourself amongst that yeah, there's a term for it. It's called third culture kid. And it's this idea that you grew up in a different culture outside of what your passport is and then eventually kind of took different portions of each culture to merge into third culture. Right. So mm. then a lot of third culture kids would say they don't really resonate with either culture, but then have to kind of fuse elements of both. Yeah. 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 Do you miss um, Taiwan and like China? Yeah, I think the pandemic really brought up a lot of the bittersweet feelings um, or the longings of wanting to visit again because I haven't been able to go back since December of 2019, which was right before the pandemic hit. Um, And so I at this point, it's like I have no idea when it will be because um, of the fact that 
there's travel quarantines and things like that. And so it really just makes it harder to visit. And so I think one of the other harder elements is the fact that all of my extended family and immediate family is in Taiwan, um, between Taiwan and China. And so, um, and same for my husband. My husband, Devin, is from China as an immigrant. And so his family is also all in China. And so um, everybody outside of my brothers that are here in the U.S. um, is overseas. And so even just seeing their holiday pictures and just all the things that they're doing. I mean, there's multiple um, new family members, you know, that haven't even been able to meet that mm-hmm. my cousins, you know, little kids and mm-hmm. there's like two or three. That I'm like, oh, man, you know, I'm not, I haven't been able to even meet them yet. And so definitely has been hard. Yeah, yeah the, the pandemic definitely has been hard on everybody in so many different ways. We were talking about that a little earlier. Um, have you you said you're into you're still a social worker, right? Yes. What is that like? with the like COVID restrictions going on and stuff like that, is it, has it really affected kind of your work and stuff like that? Um, at this point, it's a bit better than it was initially. So when the pandemic first started, um, went exclusively from an in-person practice, right. With in-person therapy to 100% telehealth overnight, essentially. Right. And so that was a huge shift for myself. And I know for many other social workers and therapists, um, Thankfully, I had done telehealth before, but the hardest part was just not having as much of the connection That's and just missing say. the just the nuances, right, of yeah. being in person and just being able to have uh, nonverbal communication. I think that is so huge. And I found for myself that being on telehealth 24-7, you know, like back to back really led to a lot of burnout um, because of, you know, just feeling like, okay, this all day, you're just on technology and having to put so much concentration and focus and attention, you know, to serving the clients and the work that you're doing that requires like really high mental energy on top of the telehealth kind of platform just created, I feel like a a very kind of disconnected experience. And that probably doesn't really um, help. You know, a lot lot of people, I think kind of their whole reason that they kind of get therapy and stuff like that is a, the really intimate you know experience of trying to being able to talk to somebody about different things like that you have your own you said you have your own practice right? yes so that's what it's like you're, you're a therapist you help people like you listen to people talk about their issues and stuff yes like that. Yeah. yes so I, I feel like that that really might yeah like I get yeah you. it could yeah. be a barrier but you know something really interesting that emerged from the pandemic that i had never thought would become a new area mm-hmm. in my work um was being able to then, you know, broaden work to the entire state of Texas Mm. and then now working with clients, especially Asian American Mm -hmm. clients that are wanting to work through racial trauma and the impact of anti-Asian hate that occurred throughout the pandemic. So a lot of Asian Americans started pursuing therapy in the last couple of years. Like, I think it's, I don't have the exact statistic, but I've read online in articles that it's the highest level that there's ever been um, for folks who are really just wanting to heal from trauma and childhood experiences. And um, and, and similar to my background, right, where they're second generation immigrants or, you know, where they've come from immigrant parents, but now are wanting to um, work through their trauma. And so that's been really exciting for me, just being able to serve folks in my own community in that new format. And that wasn't something I had entered into 
social work or private practice planning to specialize in yeah. that area. So uh, I bet it's really inspiring pe- to people who are also like kind of younger than you a little bit that, are, you know, they, they hear that, you know, somebody in their family is uh, seeing like a, you know, an Asian therapist. Like there's, I'm pretty sure there's people that are like, Oh, I want to, I want to do something like that. And then they see you doing it and now they kind of feel a little bit more inspired to do it. So, um, uh, that that whole part of the pandemic was insane to me. Like when people are just being so rude to like like they're being really hateful to Asian people, and then you had like stuff going on in China where there's like different like black people that were like different viral videos and stuff of them getting like it was a really weird like you know point in time mm-hmm. like why are we mm-hmm. being so rude and evil to each other when we're all going through the same exact thing like we're all experiencing the pandemic so why like you know I I don't know that's a I think that's good to hear. I don't want to say it's good to hear. You don't want to hear that people are going to therapy, but I do. <laughs> I, I'm excited about, you know, yeah. I, I, granted, I'm biased because I'm a therapist, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but I think I found it to be such an act of courage, right, yeah. for so many it individuals. Is. And not just folks in the Asian American community, but just seeing folks, you know, people of color, yeah. BIPOC folks. I have I know for many therapists, including myself, we've seen such a huge amount higher amounts of folks who are now like okay we want to work through or we need to work through our racial trauma and we need to work through trauma in general and and so then i see it as an act of courage for our communities right to 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 really um yeah want to you know leave a legacy of healing for themselves and also for their kiddos and for their own kids and the families and partners and folks around them um, so it always gets me excited when folks reach out. I think that the telehealth kind of helped two people be courageous because I don't have to walk into this building and people are seeing me walk. Yes, yeah. yes. Because I know a lot of people, like you said, before the pandemic, they would have never gone to therapy, but they have the option to be in the comfort of their home and they don't have to sit face to face or they don't have to walk in or drive somewhere mm-hmm. and be seen. Because I really think that a lot of the shame that came with going to therapy is the fact that People are gonna know I'm going to therapy. People. Where now they have more privacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or the accessibility, right? Because yeah. that's what I meant. Because a lot of folks might not have been able to find someone that has a similar culture to them mm-hmm. or background to them, but now telehealth really opens up opportunities for folks to be able to find a therapist that looks like them or can understand their language or culture. Yeah, I think it's helped a lot because I know I'm like looking for a therapist. And I'm like, hmm. And, like, everybody has these ideas of what they want their therapist. Like you said, somebody that looks like me, that kind of knows what I'm experiencing and can understand what I've gone through. I feel like that's important when you're going to therapy because if you go to therapy and nobody, you know, the person doesn't understand your background, it is kind of hard. Because I've been to, like, grief therapy when I was younger, and it was awful. And I cried, and I was like, I'm not ever coming back here. (laughs) (laughs) And my mom was like, okay, you don't have to come because it was that bad for me because it was an older white guy. Uh, And I was like a 10-year-old little black girl. Yeah. And he's telling me, well, this is what you need to do to get over your grandfather's death. Wow. And I'm like... How are you telling me that? Yeah, like how are you the one to tell me that? 50 or 60 years old telling me to do something that I don't have the life experience to do. And I don't Mm -hmm. have the coping Mm -hmm. skills to do. So it's like, <laughs> I think having the opportunity to look for people by, you know, sex, age, and race, for sure. it definitely helps because I know they have that one. I don't know if y'all have anything similar, but they have this one website called Therapy for Black Girls. And it's just a whole lot of black women who are therapists. Mm-hmm. And that's a great tool because most black women do want to talk to other black women who they feel won't judge them. And so, like you said, 
going through your going through their you know their racial injustices or whatever they're going through with you that's very helpful to people because you get it yeah and i think the hugest thing right is where then you don't have to spend you know your time in therapy educating the therapist about your culture or even having to like move in that space right Mm -hmm. that it can and that's part of why it's so huge to have that um, inclusion and define um, you know representative and inclusive therapists that's cool that's cool i'm i don't know i'm excited i didn't know that you were i didn't know if you were still practicing or not but that's exciting because it's like i know a lot of people especially like with everything that just happened last year they need that and i didn't know you could do all of texas either so i'm like that's even better for you. Like, you know, you're getting to talk to all of these people, reach all these people and help them. And it's something that you love doing. So I'm just like, you know, whenever we have the opportunity to help people in the capacity that we love to do so, I really think that that's a blessing in yeah. itself. I think um, uh, I had a question. I forgot. Oh, no. Uh, we were talking earlier about therapists, stuff like that, and how, like, therapists usually have a therapist to talk to somebody, mm-hmm. you know, about. Mm-hmm. Um the does the therapist do you have a therapist or do you have somebody you're supposed to talk to about just like everything that you listen to and take in from like your um guests if you don't mind me asking yeah well i have gone through therapy on and off and i was in therapy for the last i would say last two years Mm -hmm. and we just concluded um about a few months ago because i got to a lot better place but yeah i've i highly recommend for therapists to experience therapy and i'd always be concerned if a therapist haven't gone through their own experience themselves to be on the other side um and another platform or places um you know consultation then that's where you work with other therapists um to help support you in the therapy work that you're doing okay okay okay. that makes sense because i i I think I'm still interested. Uh, when I first got out of high school and stuff like that, I had said originally I wanted to get my psychology degree and have my own practice and stuff like that. I don't know where it really came from. You know, the need to, like, want to help people and, like, you know, want to be a therapist, stuff like that. But, um, yeah, when when we got when we were talking about trying to find guests and Jasmine mentioned you and was telling me stuff about you, I was like, yeah, I want to have her on. Like, I want to kind of pick her brain a little bit just because it's, it's, a, it's a really – it's a really uh, – trying to think of the word, like kind of daunting, like task to be someone's therapist, but it's also, I feel like really fulfilling and really like a, a blessing to have like that set up in our, in our world. Cause a lot of times when you're going through stuff, all you really need is someone to talk to, you know, like you don't necessarily want, um, I don't know, I'm not going to say answers or like, you know, you don't really want someone to tell you what to do. You just kind of want someone to listen to you. And help yeah. You, like, yeah. Like Jasmine everything. was mentioning, right. For your experience as a kid, it's like, you know, with grief, it sounds like that therapist was not really seeking to hold space, right, for you to be able to process to just verbalize your feelings or yeah. just to even, like, identify what your feelings were. And so that's oftentimes the role of a therapist, right, to really just hold space um, or to help clients to be able to make room mm-hmm. for their experiences as opposed to trying to just fix or problem solve, where sometimes there might be some problem solving, but yeah. really kind of balancing between the... That's cool. So that, that makes that makes a lot of sense. That may be an aspect a lot of people don't don't think about because therapy and like getting a, going to th- like having a therapist stuff like that. I feel like got really painted in a negative light at some point in our society. I don't know when, but at some point everybody's assumed that if you're going to get help or if you're going to talk to somebody that you're crazy and stuff like that. So I feel like a lot of people got put off on therapy. So it's kind of it's kind of nice hearing that there's like a resurgence that people are really trying to you know find help and get people to talk to. And stuff yeah, like that. yeah, and I think. 
I've thought about that a lot, and I think part of why folks can have that stigma is, you know, when you really medicalize therapy in the sense of seeing it as like, oh, everybody must have a mental health disorder in order to go to therapy, which isn't always the case. Sometimes it is the case, right? And and that's huge. But then to also see that like, oh, okay, we don't need to, this is a quote from Dr. Helen Harris from the School of Social Work, we don't need to pathologize grief, right? We need to normalize grief and we don't need to pathologize it and see it as like, oh, that's a disease when really grief is a normal response trauma is our normal nervous system response to horrific and stressful experiences um burnout right it is a nervous system response and so then when we pathologize those things it can create that stigma of like oh only crazy people goes to therapy when really therapy can be that place to work through experiences of trauma and grief which doesn't always mean somebody has a diagnosis per se but could definitely be something that impacts their life and can really um, you know, impact their work, their social relationships, or just their day to day well being. So, right. And mm-hmm. I don't think that I thought about that until insurance came into play. <laughs> and it's like on insurance, it's listed as behavioral health, it's not listed as mental health. It's listed as behavioral health instead of mental health on your insurance. And even when I was talking to my therapist a few years ago, she was telling me, you know, um, in order for you to even get to the stage of where you do need a clinical diagnosis, you have to be not for lack of better words, crazy and like regular therapy. Like there has to be a recommendation because I didn't know that there was a process either. Like how you're saying, like you don't have to have a diagnosis to go to therapy. She was explaining to me, like even for you to get to that stage of needing extra assistance mm-hmm, and things mm-hmm. like that, like y'all have to say, okay, well therapy is not working for them. Mm, what's the mm-hmm, next level to mm-hmm. help this person and when she explained it that way she was like don't let you know don't let people make you think that you're crazy because you're talking through the things that you've gone through like you said yes because that's a natural response like we hurt when we go through things and there's nothing wrong with that and everybody doesn't know how to process and so one of the things that she worked on me with was learning how to use different techniques to process my grief and she told me like you know there are some things that you have to put on the shelf and you get them back down when you're ready to deal with them. Doesn't mean that you forget them, but you put them in a box in your mind and you keep them there until you're ready to face them. And you don't have to take them all out at the same time. And that's something that kind of helped me because I was like, hmm, kind of makes sense. Sounds like records. Like, you know, you're keeping a record of your life. And she was like, one thing at a time. And I think a lot of people would benefit, like I said, from going to therapy just because it's 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 really, like you said, it's problem solving. But it's also you having your feelings validated, even if they might not be all the right right sometimes. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, we're we're humans and we get emotional. Sometimes we don't always have the right perception of something. But even if that's the case in therapy, whatever you feel is validated in the beginning. And then you're told, well, this is how you can handle this. And this is what the reality is. And so I think that it's like you said the people having the courage to go to work through those kinds of things because it is hard in the beginning. I didn't want. I cried the first. Oh, two for sure. <laughs> the whole time, I think I was there for like an hour. In the first two sessions, I just cried because I told her I was like, I didn't realize that these things were bothering me so much, and a lot of people don't because yeah, yeah, we're yeah. taught as minority children mm-hmm. you have to be strong, mm-hmm. you have to do this because if you yeah. don't, you don't get good grades, you don't do this, and you don't carry yourself this way, and you don't act this way. 
people are going to look at you like you're less than you have to be smart and you have yeah, to like yeah. it's very it's hard yeah <laughs> it's yeah like, yeah that shows up a lot in the asian american community too because you know with a lot of immigrants kids there's that pressure to, to succeed or to feel yes. like okay well, i just gotta tough it out yeah. or not have emotions or not display emotions because yep. you know my parents sacrificed to get me to where i am yeah. today and so then if people are struggling or going through grief or trauma or any mental health concerns it can feel like okay have i you know shamed my parents yep. work and their upbringing um and a lot of feelings of shame right yeah. with, with yep. acknowledging where they're at yeah and I, I don't think that i realized that that was something that was coming for all minority kids until i went to college yeah <laughs> because i was just like so your mom said what well, yeah I was like, this is kind of crazy. Yeah. Then I realized, like, they don't do it to harm us. They don't. They do it because they feel like we don't have a chance if we're not that way. Mm. And which is really sad. You know, a lot of them are like, I'm trying to, you know, I'm teaching you to be strong because being strong is what's best for you. And it's like our generation is like, no, they don't work for us. Mm. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. it's oh, it's even just this idea of recognizing. And that's what I meant by, you know, so many of my, especially um, minority clients are so courageous, you know, because them taking the step of therapy is usually the first person, you know, in their whole line to ever take that step. And and it's them recognizing, oh, okay, even though my parents did say those things of like, okay, we just got to tough it out or not show emotion, them realizing, okay, that's my parents operating out of trauma, mm-hmm. out of survival, yeah. right? And, and, and realizing, okay, they, they were just doing the best they knew, yeah. but you know, acknowledging, okay, this is not what I want to continue in my own family yeah. or in my own culture moving forward or seeing like, okay, that's no longer serving us or that yeah. is actually um, working against us or is actually causing challenges like within relationships or within life or the perspective of what it means, you know, to be Asian American or what yeah. it means to be a person of color, right? Right. Um, and so, so, yeah, it takes so much courage to enter into the work of processing trauma and pain but it also um can be huge you know yeah. when it comes to the ripple effects yeah because i know like for me like and like i said it's so crazy because i didn't even know that we all had so much in common as far as our upbringings like like i said unc was diverse so there was like a lot of a, a big asian community a lot of african um exchange students and so just even within that, like the difference between being black and being African, like realizing that I'm like, but they're all still on the same thing. Like go to school, you need to get a degree because you need to be successful. And this is the only way, like I had no idea that they all had that thought process, either that, or you don't need to go to therapy. You need to pray or depend on your religion to carry you through. And it's like, that's not enough. Mm -hmm. And they make us feel bad when we say God is not enough. But I always tell people like, you can pray to God, but you also have to do the work. And just because I pray doesn't mean that I'm not responsible for the way that I heal myself. Mm -hmm. And that's something that was hard for me to learn because we're always told just go pray or, you know, whatever religion our family's practice that's been like the standard for our family depend on that because that's what's going to save you and i'm like still drowning on it yeah (laughs) yeah the the bible literally if we're going to talk about christian faith the bible literally says faith that our faith without work is dead like something to that effect so it's if you yeah yeah, so if you're not 
doing the actual physical work here while you're alive trying to you know improve yourself then whatever your faith is in is not really going to work and that's probably my favorite thing about well one of my favorite things about um our little generation like i, I don't i don't know the terms i don't know like i get confused with millennials and generation z and all that kind of stuff but like the i'm 23 so the people a little bit older than me and then the people uh-huh. a little bit younger than me yeah that that little our little age area i i like us like i think we really have the potential well not everybody but i think a lot of us have the potential <laughs> to like really just fix things because i do like this whole um kind of understanding and it's like hey our parents did the best they could with what they have and what they knew and it's like okay maybe we shouldn't just do everything that you know our parents tell us like it's okay to go ahead and branch out and do our own thing and kind of learn our own experiences and kind of just make our own path um thank you i was gonna bring another tweet i forgot what it was it was something about just like um i don't remember what it was it was about parents and stuff though just parents being wrong and just not 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 being wrong but just kind of like uh oh this is like this is a kind of like joke like that like oh somebody you know like has sex in the 90s or the 80s and now i'm here and i gotta pay bills and i gotta you know live and i gotta gotta, (laughs) i gotta deal with all this stuff now like i'm just i'm just here i'm alive so it's like if i'm gonna be here if i'm gonna be alive i gotta deal with you know x y and z then i'm gonna deal with it the way that i seem fit i think it's best for me i think that's a really a really um Really bold thing of our right. people. I think that I, we have more accountability yeah. for ourselves because I say all the time, like our parents come from a generation, um, especially African American parents, where we're coming out of our great grandparents being some of them being slaves, um, and our grandparents, you know, being the children of sharecroppers and things like that, and their family, their parents are trying to do better for them. And they don't really have it. And then you get to our grandparents' generation. Our kids are not going to suffer. If we're going to spoil them, we're going to do whatever we want to do for me. And our parents, their whole generation is kind of spoiled to me. Because I find a common theme among all of them is like, we all struggle with the same things. Talking to my friends, I'm like, dang, like, I thought it was, you know, not to bash our parents or anything. But it's like, it's kind of crazy that we're all like experiencing the same sort of lack, to say the least. And unlearning all of these bad behaviors because our parents did the best they can because they didn't really know how to be what we needed. And so there's a phase of unlearning. I feel like it's about, we're about 30. Hmm, I don't know about. Hmm. I wouldn't go younger than 20. I'm not going to give them that much credit. Yeah. But for, <laughs> for like maybe like a 20 year span between 20 and 40, you have this group of adults that are saying, I'm going to go to therapy. Um, I'm going to be accountable for myself. And, you know, mama, I'm grateful for you. Daddy, yeah. I'm grateful for you. But yeah. what you told me that doesn't really work. And yeah. it kind of sucked. And it's like not to be disrespectful, but it's like that's very first of all that is a hard realization to come to Mm -hmm. (laughs) like i tell my friends all the time like that is a hard reality to come to like they did the best that they could with what they had but it still wasn't enough it wasn't good enough yeah (laughs) or or it wasn't what you needed yeah yeah and it's like that yeah i mean thank you for trying and i love you and i don't fault you for not knowing better no but now I'm starting my own family. I have to know better for my kids Mm -hmm. and I have to know better for myself because it's like, I feel like we play catch up a lot and I don't like that. 
Like, I, I don't. But I'm really proud of us because we're the ones who are starting the businesses. We're the ones who are going to therapy. We're the ones who are changing what family structure looks mm, like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whereas they were toxic. Like, I'm just saying, <laughs> they really were, like, they... they they had a lot of issues. A lot of them. You, if like, you even go further back than our parents, people are talking about how, like, you got grandparents and great-grandparents that stayed in marriages that weren't good. You know, they, no. weren't, they weren't faithful, like, good. And they had upholding. another family down the street. Yeah. And it was mm-hmm. just, like, mm-hmm. those types of things, and they knew about it. And they yeah. stayed. A lot of women that I've talked to that are um, my grandmother's generation, they married just so they could leave the house. Yeah. And I'm like, no. I got my own house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you know, just things yeah. like that. Like, and I know for them, it's like, wow, like, I would have never dreamt that for myself at 20-something. I'm like, I'm not getting married to leave, no how. I'm just going to go apply for the apartment or whatever by myself, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's like just that <laughs> that much of a switch within that, that you know, that short amount of time is like, it shows a lot. And I'm just like, you know, I'm proud of us. They can call us crazy, but I'm just like, we're doing a lot of stuff on our own that it took y'all 20, 30 years to achieve. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, you know, where you then realize, okay, it's like the level of what unprocessed and unhealed trauma does generation to generation. Um, Because, you know, within a lot of Asian American experiences, it's, you know, parents, grandparents who came out of wars, you know, came to America because of being refugees. Um, or, you know, you know, with my grandparents experiencing both of the wars, right? And so it's, um, or even, you know, I, I always think about, you know, the Japanese Americans and the impact, right, of, um, the internment camps during World War mm. II. Um, and so the level of trauma that's unhealed and then just, you know, pushing through just yeah. to survive and just, you know, keep on going, right, out of survival. And so then... Here we are in our generation in a place now where it's like, okay, we've been shaped by that from grandparents, parents, and now experiencing right pandemic, which is a collective trauma, yeah, racial yeah. uprisings, further trauma, right? And, and I think that's what really led to such a collective shift within so many people these even this last couple of years where folks are like okay we're like done done (laughs) like with all this drama and like and you know racism and systemic injustices and and then realizing okay we we can't continue living like this and and need to make changes you know within ourselves within organizations you know within systems and so so that that's been huge, you know, for me to be able to see. And that's, that also goes with the idea of courage that we see within so many people within our generation um, who are seeking to make those shifts. Yeah, I think we were just like, no, nah, this is not cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank I'm you. I'm not going to spend my next 10, 20, 30 years dealing with all yeah. this stuff. And I think that they dealt with a lot of stuff because they didn't have any other choice. Yeah. A and lot we have of more access to more resources. Yes. Yeah. And so I think for us, it's like, we don't. We don't have to do this like and y'all didn't have to do it to be honest like yeah. and i think uh if they had the same resources that we had back then be different then it'd be different yeah like genuinely i think it would be different we got flying cars and stuff <laughs> like we'd be we'd be just so together as a country and just probably the world all together if we just i don't know got to yeah, jump on some would, stuff it would be different and when you were talking about um the different um asian communities i worked for communities and schools in um, Louisville 
And one of our largest populations were Chin kids from Burma. Uh And they were refugee Mm -hmm. children. And, Mm -hmm. like, the stories that they told me, how they got here, I was just like, what? And it it was mind-blowing. Like, we had one kid, he was like, yeah, um, I don't remember what happened, but they had to basically escape. And they were, like, hopping trains. And he was like, yeah, that's how we got here. He was like, "We we, we ran away from the camp. And I was like, what do you mean? And he started telling us the story. And I was like, wow, like these things are still happening for sure. Yeah. And I never, that's why I was telling WR like when all of this stuff started happening with the pandemic and even the, you know, the police killings, I never imagined hearing or seeing these things in our lifetime. And it's like somebody just slapped the book on the table and it fell back to something that had happened before. And so like speaking to those kids and, you know, trying to teach them English and different things like that, it was very I don't know, like, I miss them. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, they're probably in high school, but I miss them because it was so sad. Like, they didn't even know how to use the restroom because they were used to using the bathroom over holes. And I'm like, you know, it made me sad because I I genuinely did not realize that these types of things were still happening. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'm yes. like, what do you mean a concentration camp? Yeah. He was like, we escaped. Mm-hmm. And I was yeah. like, what? Yeah, yeah, and I think that's part of part of the issues too, right? Right, because there's um, a misconception that Asian Americans, you know, you might have heard about model minority myths and all of that. Yes. Um, there can be a misconception that Asian American only encompasses like East Asians, which is you know what I identify as as a Taiwanese American. But there's statistics that show that disparities, like socioeconomically, is the highest disparities between Asian Americans. Um, you know from folks that are higher social economic class versus lower because there's such a huge range um, and there's still a lot of folks right where their background is um, you know they came to America because of escaping from uh, war-torn countries or refugee you know they came as a refugee or even um, you know are coming undocumented you know there's a lot of stories that are not being told right about um, the fact that there's a huge undocumented po- population of folks, you know, from China and from other countries in Asia. And, and so then, yeah, it's this idea of like the own untold stories and untold narratives of what it means to be Asian American. And, you know, more and more folks are even um, recognizing that like, okay, Southeast Asian, South Asian is all encompassing. Like Asian Americans are so broad. There's so many countries and languages yes. and cultures so it's a very huge term and that encompasses so many different people. And it's not the same. Yeah. And I didn't know that. I was like, what is Burma? And I asked them, I was like, I've never, heard had that. never heard of that. I was like, what is Burma? And I was like, what is Chin? And they would teach me Chin. And I was like, okay. And it was just, I just, I don't know, because there were so many of them. And I was like, all y'all were displaced. And they were babies. Like, I worked at an elementary. So the the little boy that was telling us the story, he was only in fifth grade, fourth grade. And I was just like, and he was so, like I said, us having to be strong and mature. He was so mature for his age. And I'm just like, this is not, you know, this is not okay. And I really, they had people coming in working with them. But it was just like, it's heartbreaking, you know, because like you said, we know Asians in America as a model minority. But I had never, ever imagined that that was going on in Asia until I met those kids. And it just cho- totally changed my perspective on everything because I'm like, these are babies. And, like, their parents were poor, very poor. 
um, they would be at work long hours and, you know, we have the after school program. They would have to walk home and the oldest sibling would be responsible for them. And it's just like people don't, like you said, they don't see that because they're so used to seeing like um, Tokyo and, you know, things like that. Yeah. And the so same kind of story it's like, over and over. Yeah. And we don't like I, I didn't know what Burma was. I was just like, what are you talking about? He's like, Burma. He's like, it's my country. It's where I'm from. And I was like, where's that at? And he couldn't really explain where it was because they couldn't go to school. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, they spent their life running. And I'm like, I just, that's so sad. And he's telling me, like, we didn't have shoes. And, yeah, we were running barefoot. And I was just like, you know, but people don't see those things. And so, like, when I say, like, I'm, I think everybody should go to therapy. I do. Um, and especially like making therapy accessible for children like that, mm, mm-hmm. because I they were so sweet, <laughs> but I really felt bad for them because it's like so you know yeah that's a lot and right. you're what nine ten that's a that's a lot to have experienced yeah. at that age and I'm just like but how did y'all get, like I'm just in my head but how did y'all get here how did y'all get to Louisville Texas you know like in my head like how did y'all even get here. And I just, it was so sad because he had two younger siblings and his younger sister was in kinder. And I'm just like, what? Like, how did y'all run with a baby? Because she, I think that they had only been here like a year or two. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just like, like mortified. Literally, Mm -hmm. I'm just like, this is, you know, this is not okay. Um, (laughs) Somebody go help or something, you know. And you, like you said, you don't know people's trauma or their grief until, they tell you. And for those kids, a lot of us were their therapists because they would just talk to us. And I would be like, well, now, you know, you have a better opportunity and you have access to more things and look, you have clothes on. And so just those small things, it's like, I can't imagine what you hear (laughs) because I was just, you know, with them for maybe two or three hours a day. Um, And that was for, I think I worked, our grant was for like two years. Oh, wow. And so I can't imagine the stories that you've heard from people, but it's like people need to understand like things are really happening to people. And that's why it's important for like our generations to be like, it's okay if you go get help for that. If you go for talk sure, to somebody about for that. Sure. And I'm just like, ugh, traumatized mm-hmm. <laughs> from even mm-hmm. just even thinking about it. Have you um aside from social work, uh yeah, what are the other things that you kinda like participate in? Yeah, so I am one of the co-owners of our boba tea company, which is headquartered here in Waco. It's called Cha Community. Um, Used to be called uh, Waco Cha, and we were abandoned last fall. And so that that business emerged, right, through our experiences here in Waco, um, especially when it came to just that kind of like what we're talking about, right, this theme of, you know, the untold stories Mm. or that, feeling of, you know, not being able to see our culture or, um, you know, representation of Asian Americans within Central Texas Mm -hmm. in particular. Granted, you know, I always understand and acknowledge that, you know, there's only about 2% Asian Americans are Asians here in Central Texas is the last census data. But, you know, I, even though it's 2%, I always tell folks that doesn't mean that our stories and our culture doesn't matter, right? Exactly. Like, even if yeah. we're just 2% of the population, you know, you know, 
2% matters yeah. still. And so that's really what drew us, Devin and I, to start um, what we call Waco Trot at that time. Because we really, we would always, you know, go to bigger cities like Houston or Dallas, where there's a larger Asian, Asian American population, and just hope like, okay, maybe one day, you know, there would be these restaurants or boba tea shops that would open, you know, here in Waco. But then instead of just hoping for more representation, Did we it. realize, okay, we can't just keep hoping for that to happen. Like yeah. we actually need to be part of the change that we want to see in our city here. And so we started a pop-up at the farmer's market downtown here in Waco summer of 2018 after we had spent a year and a half dreaming of a concept uh, for boba tea and boba is from Taiwan, which is where my family is from. And so that's a drink that was really common and popular and something I just drank, you know, from really young and learned how to make in the kitchen with my mom just yeah. stirring and stirring the pot. <laughs> and so so it was something that we already were familiar with. And then we're like, OK, we really want to use boba as a way to bridge cultures and to create community which is our mission right yeah. to bridge cultures and to create community and this idea of creating a sense of belonging for diverse cultures um in waco and and for folks to be able to celebrate their culture as well and so you know i think starting three years ago into where we're at now it's been quite a journey and had you know a lot of Folks have been like, wow, how do you feel about how much y'all have grown? I look back, I'm like, I don't, we had like no idea what we were doing back in summer of 2018. And I don't think we had ever envisioned um, for the business to grow to where it's at now. Um, and so it's been really exciting to see. And also, I think for me as a social worker, also something that has been, you know, a place to even see, okay, how can there be innovation within a boba tea company right yeah. to be able to make a collective impact or, or more of a community impact as well oh, that's a really cool idea it's uh, good too yeah yeah, yeah. You, you some, I, <laughs> I haven't had so i need to, i need to get some you said it's community chow now or cha community chow community yes. okay okay because I, I did try to get different drinks every time and see everybody when i first heard about waco chow people told me um people told me it was black on so that's how i got like, Wait, like people told me it was black because i remember <laughs> really? um, yes yes that, that's how i got that's how i found out waco chaw was like people were telling me or maybe people said it was locally owned maybe that's what it was i'm like i have never heard yeah, that nah, I, it, it, we were at work i i kind of helped take the lead on doing something for juneteenth and my uh -huh. job and um one of the things that we did was kind of like try to get to the other list of um different places that are you know black owned for people yeah, to like go yeah. and visit and someone like during our little meeting was like oh that's Waco Child I mean like when that Waco Child are like, you never heard of that like are you sure like Waco Child's a, I don't think we actually well, well I see that there, as like, a compliment I guess I'll, I'll receive <laughs> it not you know we're Asian 100 yeah, percent Asian yeah. American owned yeah, right yeah. so I, I'm a Taiwanese American my husband's a Chinese immigrant um but you know I think maybe the perceptions because we've really sought, you know, and I think this does come from, you know, both of our backgrounds being really relationally driven. Mm -hmm. And also as a social worker, me having really wanted from the very beginning, right, to do a lot of connection work with nonprofits and with organizations. Like we've been members of both the Centex Hispanic and African American chambers since the beginning of our business. And so having a lot of that connection and desire to bridge with 
um, other communities of color has been a huge part of my role and work and, you know, what brings me joy and mm-hmm. energy and what I work and, you know, even things like connecting with Jasmine, right, has been part of the work I do at Chalk Community. And so, so, you know, I see it as a compliment in the <laughs> sense of like, okay, you know, we've really sought to bridge cultures with yeah. folks of different backgrounds, even from our own um, because, you know, we really believe in this idea of um, ab- abundance in the sense of, you know, it, as we grow, we can use, you know, what we have to also be able to help others to uplift, right, as a community, as opposed to the idea that, like, oh, okay, we have to be, like, isolated yeah. or competitive, but the idea, like, right. we grow together. Um, and so that is something that has been really huge for us. Oh, that's a beautiful mission, too, because a lot of people, I don't know, kind of, do certain things with the intention of oh i'm doing it for myself and i'm just gonna help myself out and i really want to make it you know something special so i really like that no, i'm gonna definitely stop by one day and come they try have it. dumplings too okay okay i'm not a big tea person but i'm gonna try it because it's you but yeah, the thing I'm is it doesn't taste like tea okay like you can get different types of tea and it's i i think i had the milky way and then the galaxy lemonade mm-hmm. those are the two that i always get and you choose your sweetness so it's like you don't have to feel guilty. Okay. Um, well, yeah, and that's part of what, you know, outside of the community work, that's the other side, like the idea of creating fusion drinks and also premium options because many boba shops have more, you know, kind of powder-based, artificial colorings, those types of ingredients. And then we've really sought to create more handcrafted in-house ingredients with loose-leaf tea, freshly brewed, um, and that's what has been kind of the second fold kind of area, you know, outside of the work that we seek to do when it comes to creating community. Yeah. That's why I say you don't have to feel guilty. Cause like you can still tell that it's natural stuff. Yeah. So it's like, it's good. And then like the Milky Way kind of like, you would like it if you like this. <laughs> Seriously. And I, I just started getting into coffee this year. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like this month, like it doesn't quite month. taste like a coffee, but it has the same kind of quality or the idea behind it or whatever. It reminds me of a very, very good frappe. Okay. Um, that's this is too. Yeah. So it's like, they're like, if I'm feeling, you know, if I need coffee, cause I've really been trying not to just be on a caffeine binge, yeah. but it's like, that's what I would get if I don't want to feel guilty. And it's like, I should get bigger sizes because they are really good. And it's like, I don't know if you ever had bubble, but it's really good. I found out what bubble was in college and I was like hooked. And so when I found <laughs> out about like a child, I was like, oh yeah. yeah. Cause I, I hadn't seen a bubble shop in so long. I think I went to the mall once and I tried to get something, but it's like you said, artificial. You could tell mm. it mm-hmm. wasn't, you know, authentic. And I was just like, this is not what I had in college and I didn't want it. <laughs> so I was excited. And like I said, just like she was saying, like the community partnerships and stuff, like I know outside of, you know, connecting with us, you've worked with Footprints Dance Company and different organizations and helping even with Jun- the Juneteenth pageant. Um, that was so fun. <laughs> I miss yeah. being, yeah, just miss being able to have gatherings like yeah. that. Yeah, so it's like um, those are the things that, like she said, bridging the gap in the community, which is something that she and I had always, you know, talked about from our first conversation. Like, how can we all work together to make sure that like we're all on the same page? But that is funny that somebody said it was black on them, like. What would a black-owned company call themselves? Chaff. Yeah, 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 you know. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah so and funny. for the listeners who don't know, Chaff stands for tea in Chinese, <laughs> um, and you know, is a way for us to also bridge cultures within our own logo and a brand itself. Yeah. Mm. 
that's yeah, cool. but that's cool. Um, I just, yeah, go go get some tea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what else to say. I'm just like, go get some tea. And they have cute merchandise as well. Yeah, I got like some little um loose leaf um tea balls that I use. And then y'all have like shirts and different things. Do y'all still have like the shirts? And mm-hmm, I know that y'all mm-hmm. have some people like the... I forgot her name, but she makes like the cute little clay earrings and stuff like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a cute accents, yeah. boba earrings. Yeah, and we're hoping to do more of that throughout the year, um, especially when it comes to like collaborations with artisans and mm-hmm. local vendors to be able to feature their um, items or to do collaborations like that. That's cool. Yeah, really so it's idea. cool. It's cool. And then I like the space. It's cute. I like anything that's cute, y'all. <laughs> it's cute in here. Y'all are on social media and stuff like that, too. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's at Cha underscore community on Instagram or at Cha community one on Facebook. Okay. Yeah, definitely check it out. Have y'all expanded outside of Waco? Well, that's something that's Ooh. coming up, you know. So by the time the listeners are listening to this episode, we should probably be a few weeks into opening in temple so we've been working on temple for the last year almost um and so you know there's been delays because of the pandemic um but we're planning to open in downtown temple by mid february of this year so we're really excited um it's getting really close to being finished out with the build out that's, That's exciting. cool. Yeah, yeah. Congrats on that. Yes, I'm excited for y'all. Cause I'm just like, yes, yeah, a successful business. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because cool. everybody doesn't do it right. But I'm like, that's that's really good. And then y'all have the opportunity to reach a different community as well. Because, I mean, Temple is a different playground. <laughs> yeah. As far as like you know, even the differences between you know the black community in Waco and the black community in Temple, and I feel like that's something that they need to be exposed to as well. Um, and I know people in Temple, so I'll be like, yeah, I got a tea shop down there, too. Yeah. Free promo. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, free promo. <laughs> I mean, it's good. But I'm definitely excited for y'all. Yeah. Um, And also, like, just the way that y'all have given, like, the profit shares and working with different organizations. Um, I think that that's something that's admirable because you have so many businesses that are like, nope. Um, I know anytime we call you like um, I have an idea um, what if, can we you know the back to school drive can we put our box there and collect stuff and even you know you giving us other people to work with like Lalo's coffee and stuff because I don't think a lot of people knew but we had no idea I know <laughs> I, I literally heard Lalo's for the first time yesterday yeah <laughs> we had no idea who Lalo was or you know who we were going to work with and I asked you for recommendations and a lot of reason that we were able to give those kids those backpacks and stuff for like field this year where well not this year i forgot it's a new year yeah time year. flies yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um last year yes last year was because you know you made those connections for us so thank you for that and also you know thank you just for always being able to have suggestions and being available for you know questions because we always all have questions and sometimes we don't have the resources but i think that it's you know cool that if no matter how long it's been, if we reach out to each other, it's always, you know, like, yeah, I can help you. And I think that's a part of bridging the gap that people need mm-hmm. to understand is like, it doesn't always have to be constant communication because mm-hmm. we are all busy. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I'm like, that's a hard pill to swallow nowadays because people feel like they have such instant, instant access to people with no. social media and stuff like that. It's like, I don't, I don't like, have to answer busy. every phone call. Yeah. Like we're not always, I don't able. even talk to my friends all the time. So <laughs> I, I'm just like, I just, I feel better knowing that even if I don't, talk to y'all all the time it's like you know whenever i do talk to y'all it's never any 
well, you you need something. You haven't talked to me in so long. Yeah. Like, I'm pregnant. I'm really tired. <laughs> <laughs> well, isn't that what it means, right? To to be in community, yeah. right? right? So so when I say community, I don't even mean like family, right? But, but but recognizing that, like, oh, okay, even if we're not in constant conversation or contact, like we are with our to family, but yet we can also still create a sense of connection, belonging, support to mutually. Right. Um, and so I think you know that's something that we've. Uh, really needed as a society in the last couple of years with the pandemic creating a lot of isolation right. and preventing opportunities for community connections um, but it's something that also I think is so special too about the Waco community the fact that we are small enough to where you can be able to make a lot of those connections but also where um, you know I think especially with small business and the nonprofit world there's a lot of um you know, just even interdependence and, and, and like the mutual kind of uplifting and desire to better the yes. community as a whole when it comes to Waco locally. And it's not a competition. And I think that's the, the best part of it is like, um, somebody asked me for this. I don't have it. Do you want like, or somebody gave this opportunity. I can't do it. Can you do it? Mm, and I think mm-hmm. that a lot of people don't have that. So it's been refreshing to say the least to be able to work with everybody. And I think that I appreciate it the most because we're all still fairly young and it's like, okay, maybe we're getting it right. Yeah. <laughs> so if it's like, maybe we're, maybe we're getting it right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. On time. Oh, we're out of time. No, you got anything else? You just want to, you know, put out there. Oh, give them your address to the to the shop. All right, yeah. So you can find us at Chalk Community Downtown Waco, one thousand one Franklin Avenue, Um, and we're going to be in Downtown Temple pretty soon. Um, the the easiest way to get in touch with us would be on our Instagram page, but you can also find us on our website at chalkcommunity.com. Gotcha. Cool. You got anything else? No. All right, cool. <laughs> um, as always, I'm Dave R. And I am Jasmine. And thank you again, Ms. Jaja, for coming on and talking with us today. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast.